listeners, I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Dwayne Feria, a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and author of the acclaimed novel, Revolutions of All Colors. Tobias Wolf selected Dwayne's novel as the winner of Syracuse University Press's Veterans Writing Award and had this to say about the book. Revolutions of All Colors is a vivid, original novel of young men struggling with questions of race, injustice, personal and political violence, of responsibility to family, friends, lovers, sexual identity, of what it means to be a man. It is a remarkable achievement. Dwayne, welcome to the show and greetings from here in Vermont to you in the Philippines. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's evening here, so I'm gonna say uh, good morning to you. I know it's morning there. (laughs) I appreciate that. Dwayne, I wanna start with that quote by Tobias Wolf. I mean, that's like the mother load of acclaim. But why do you think that your debut novel earned you that Veterans Writing Award? Oh, that's a great question. I um, Nothing like putting you on the spot. <laughs> I think that there is a tone to veterans stories now that people know and people are familiar with. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The story of the Iraq war veteran, the story of the Afghanistan war veteran is one that needs to be told, especially now that we finally uh, ended our 20-year war in Afghanistan. But I think that my book tapped into something different. My book tapped into the Black American military experience, which particularly in fiction, I I don't think that it's been given the amount of space that it deserves. So I think that that's part of the reason why the book won is because um, it's something different. It reaches out into... uh, not just my veteran experience, but also my father's and his father's. You know, that was a part of the book that I wanted to include, that I wanted to highlight. So I think that maybe that's one of the reasons that the book stood out, you know? You know, Wolf goes on to talk about the scope of revolutions of all colors. And he says, with great assurance, the narrative ranges from New Orleans to Ukraine, Somalia, Brooklyn, Oklahoma, and from the military world to the worlds of prison, dance, mixed martial arts, even municipal government. Dwayne, I was also gobsmacked by how many landscapes and interiorities you shared in that novel. I mean, Tobias Wolf had it so right. Thank you so much for saying that. Sometimes when I'm having a bad writing day, I go back to that blurb from Tobias uh, (laughs) to kind of buttress myself for the day. When I'm having a bad writing day, I read that blurb that you got. (laughs) (laughs) Why did you go about that work from so many different angles? I wanted place to be a big part of the novel. I guess I'll start with talking about New Orleans. It's funny because New Orleans is the one place in the book that I depict that I have never lived. But it was the place that I enjoyed researching the most. You know, both of my parents are from New Orleans, but my dad enlisted in the Air Force when he was 17 years old. So, you know, we moved around a lot. We were Air Force brats. So for me, New Orleans was always Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, it was what my dad was, he was what New Orleans was, you know. You know, I have a great, I have a great love for Ukraine. I have a great love for Kiev. You know, I have a great love for Oklahoma and New York, you know, and, and I wanted that to um, to shine through in the book. 
Yeah, well, you fully immersed me in such a variety of places. I mean, from Somalia to Oklahoma. So, so I feel like I'm now a world traveler. <laughs> Dwayne, you know, the book doesn't just take us to all these different places, but it also takes us to these different voices or perspectives, including those of some female characters. One of them is Eddie, and she is an amazing character. She just sizzles off the page. But I wanted to ask you, why did you start with her perspective to open the novel? Eddie's voice, for me, that's what makes me love fiction, was losing myself in someone who's different from me in whatever way. And in many ways, Eddie's is very similar to me, you know, but I really like writing a female voice. I wanted to show the tension that's inherent in the Black community. Sometimes you hear folks talk about Black Americans like we're a monolith, like, you know, there is one way to be a Black American and one political view. The thing that I think makes Eddie sizzle on the page is she has this internal conflict that's manifested by Troy, the, the Black Panther that she gets involved with, and by her father, who represents the more conservative strain of Black American culture, which existed. You know, and I, I always tell people that we forget that there was a, a strain of conservatism that doesn't get as much voice now, but had a voice previously. Thurgood Marshall was very much in favor of the Vietnam War. When you read some of the things that Booker T. Washington said, particularly, of course, you know, there was a conservative strain in Black American thought. I wanted to encapsulate that tension between those two strains of thought. And I think that's what makes Eddie such a great character, because that it bugs her. It bothers her, that tension. Yeah. When you were talking to it, reminded me just the theme of fatherhood and what it means to be a father. That's throughout that book. Did you base Frank on your own father? To a large extent, yes. Yeah, especially the dialogue. When I was writing Frank's voice, I would hear my dad's voice quite often. He passed away in 2016, so he never got to see the book published. You know, I hope that I encapsulated his voice well. There was something about it. I wanted my kids, you know, my youngest is two and a half now. And it just breaks my heart that he will never, will never sit at my dad's you know, feet and, and hear him speak, you know, and, I, and I, I, you know, it's just so important. I hope that one day that they can read this book and especially that chapter that's in Frank's voice. I hope they read that and they can think of their papa, yeah. you know, so I, yeah, that, that his voice was in my head when I was writing uh, Frank. Dwayne, I'd love for you to share aloud just a paragraph or so that is from your novel and that made you feel really good as a writer. There are two chapters written from the point of view of Simon. Um, Simon is Eddie and Troy's son. He joins the military. He becomes an Air Force Special Operations medic. And he is a very intense person. He sees life in, in extremes. He makes a lot of immoral decisions uh, for what he thinks are moral reasons. When he leaves the military, he does mixed martial arts in New York for a bit. One thing that's unique about the, the chapters for Simon was I wanted him to sound detached. And so um, I, I wrote both those chapters in the second person. You know, I, you kind of hold auditions for your characters, you know, for which voices work best. And it just worked best for, to give him the detached, kind of almost emotionless in some places type of voice was, uh, was to do it in the second person. So I'll start here at the top. Jersey City, New Jersey, May 2006. A preference for questionable and terrifying things is a symptom of strength. Frederick Nietzsche. All of it's a blur until the first punch. The music, the lights, the crowd, the walk to the ring, the introductions, approaching the ref, touching gloves. You don't remember any of it except that first punch. In your first bout, you beat a fighter within an inch of his life. Not just a man, a fighter. Someone who eats clean, doesn't drink, worships at the altar of the fight god. The first punch you land decimates a barrier. The second blast lightning through your veins. The third is the last you remember. 
then the ref is wrenching you off the battered body. Roaring. Victorious. Wow, that's a fight scene. It certainly packed a punch, no pun intended. Thanks. You know, you were so right, I think, to give Simon that second person point of view, because I imagine when you're in that headspace and you need to get in that ring for a fight, you need that kind of cold detachment that the second person gives you. You know, that was one of the things that a lot of my professors gave, I don't want to say gave me a hard time about, but they were, they were concerned about it. it is writing in the second person is hard to hard to sell. <laughs> you know, folks think it's gimmicky and I get it. You know, like they, they see it and they, and they think that, oh, this is a writer just trying something out. You know what I mean? Uh, so yes, I did my homework on the second person. I think that's the important thing really. It's like, if you're going to use something that could be perceived as being gimmicky, at least do your homework, make sure there's a reason for it. Not just because, you know, there has to be a reason for it. I want to switch gears and talk about something that struck me after reading your bio, which is it almost seems like you exist in two different universes, meaning you have served in the military and you spent most of your professional life working for the UN Department of Safety and Security. But then there's this other world where you're a writer and you've earned your MFA at Vermont Colleges and you've had stories published in the New York Times and literary publications. I was wondering, Dwayne, do you ever feel like you've got almost two sides to you? Not anymore. It used to feel that way. When I left the Marine Corps, I wanted to be a spy. I'm <laughs> not supposed to tell people that. Clearly, I would not have been very good at it. But I wanted to work for the Central Intelligence Agency. That was my goal. That was all I was focused on. So I got out of the Marine Corps and I, I studied Russian. I did a master's in international relations. And I uh, uh, ended up at the, the Pentagon working for the Undersecretary of Defense for Nuclear Matters. Uh, mostly doing translations. Uh, I was the one civilian in the office. And then, you know, I had applications out with everyone and the UN worked out. And it was like I found a home in the UN. And, and it, I always wanted to write throughout, but I, I just didn't know how people actually did it. You know, I, I didn't know like what people, if you wanted to write literary fiction, how do you actually go about doing that? So I, I took some classes uh, when I got my second field assignment was to Mogadishu. Uh, where I served for a little over two years with the UN Department of Safety and Security. And, uh, you know, it was a tough assignment. So I took some classes through Gotham and through Stanford. And um, and just, it was my first time really just studying literature, you, you know, really just studying writing, you know. And um, it felt like this whole world just kind of opened up. Suddenly it all felt possible. And then I, I guess there's no way not to talk about it. There was a big attack at the UN compound where I was staying, um, I wrote about it for the New York Times, so I won't talk about it too much here, but it was, you know, one of those events in your life where you like, I separate my life into before that attack and after that attack. I did read that essay in the New York Times magazine that you wrote. That was just a deadly day with so many civilians and aid workers and guards who were killed. I just can't imagine. But please continue. After it happened, I took a long, hard evaluation of what I wanted to do with my life. You know what I mean? And I, I'm talking to my wife and, and we were discussing it. and. I had one instructor at Stanford, a guy named Matt Siegel, who's a poet of some renown. He's, he's a great poet. I, I try to follow and keep up with his work. I don't read as much poetry as I should. None of us read as much poetry as we should. But um, Matthew was like, you should consider doing an MFA. Most of the folks who are, who are publishing and doing the type of stuff that you want to do have MFAs. So I, I decided to take the plunge and uh, do a low residency program. My wife really pushed me to do it. She said, if you want to do this, you should do this. You want to live once. I'm thankful to her every day. Dwayne, do you ever feel like your everyday life, your work life gets in the way of your writing? 
I love my work. I love my work, work that the work I do that pays the bills. Uh, I work for the Asian Development Bank as a, a field security advisor, and I love it. But it's not like escaping into literature. I, you know, the, the writing time, it's, it's meditative in many ways, you know, and, and it's kind of good. I'm not trying to make a living at it. I'm just trying to put out great work. And that might take a bit longer because I, I have a day job, but I like the balance it brings to my life. So I, I don't feel like um, the, the writing is intrusive in my life. I feel like it just makes my life so much better. So when you go from Somalia to the Vermont College of Fine Arts in Montpelier, <laughs> what was that transition like? <laughs> it's funny because Montpelier is such a weird, specific little town. Like I was trying to describe, before my family came to the graduation, I was just like, I can't describe it. It's just great. There's no Walmart. There's no McDonald's. Like, you know, there's no chain stores whatsoever, you know? Everyone is super nice. <laughs> you know, clearly you had a productive experience in your MFA program. Can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, I was already writing every single day. I, I approached writing the same way I approached, like, working out. You know, butt in the chair every single day you have to do it. You know, that way. That's what's worked for me, you know. So I was already doing that when I got there. For me, the big change was being around writers was being around literary people. I'd never been to a literary reading of any kind. I had this image in my head of like dudes in berets and, and, and cigar smoke or something. You know, like, <laughs> what was oh, that's just the way it is. Yes. <laughs> I give briefings all the time, you know, like, you know, the hard stuff. Like we're going on a convoy in downtown Mogadishu. Like I have to brief this ambassador before we do that. But standing up in front of these young people at Montpelier was terrifying. You know, just reading your work, exposing yourself like that. I didn't understand how to do that. That was something I learned at Montpelier. So you write every day, but you also teach writing or you have taught writing in the Voices of War writing workshop. And you've had a piece published in the 2020 anthology of Best War Stories. Can you offer some insight into what it takes to write effectively about this difficult subject of war? That's a really, these are just great questions. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> and it's only six in the morning here. <laughs> I really enjoyed working with, with veterans last semester uh, with Voices from War. It, it, was, it was such a great experience. It's funny because I, I'm a different generation. You know, I, I enlisted before 9-11. I'm an old guy, you know, so my experience in the military is very much different from, from theirs. I remember when I was working at the Pentagon, um, there was this, you know, Rumsfeld was there at the time, uh, and uh, he would have this event called the March of Heroes, and uh, they would bring folks from Walter Reed and walk them around, and people would give them a round of applause. But one of the things that struck me during that was that uh, looking at these young people's ribbons, something that military folks noticed, like, you know, here were young people, they were Lance Corporals, Corporals, with, with bronze stars, with bees for valor, with, with combat action ribbons with these decorations that I did not see much of when I was in the military. You may have seen someone who had been in Mogadishu, maybe someone who'd been in Somalia during the Black Hawk Down era, uh, Grenada, you know, Desert Storm, but not the type of, of combat that these young folks of the next generation of military had seen. So I, I wondered about that when I was teaching the course, but then war is not just about combat. This is something I think is really, really important, you know? Because when we think of combat, we tend to think of, of militaries engaging with one another. We tend to think of soldiers. But that's not what warfare is. You know, like, in my opinion, one of the greatest war novels ever written is War and Peace, right? Tolstoy. You know, um, Tolstoy is writing about a society at war, a people at war. There are great combat scenes in that novel, but it's not just combat. And I think that's something I, I took from the UN, really, is that, like, you know, 
In the UN, I, I saw the consequences. We go to a town after um, the, the big militant movement there is called Al-Shabaab. After Al-Shabaab would evacuate the place, you know, so the UN agencies are assessing what type of humanitarian care they need to give into this area. We're the first folks there after Al-Shabaab has been pushed out. This is in Somalia. This is in Somalia. And then, like, you see the consequences of war. War is not over. Not that the, the, the guys have fought, you know, but, but war has continued for these people. You want to honestly depict what war is. You can't just show combat because guys love to read about combat. I love to read about combat, you know, but that's not what we should think about. When we think about war. We should think about the totality of it. That's really interesting. Thank you. Dwayne, on your website, you have the usual sections. You have about the author and then you have your links to your writing. But you also have a section that you call your day job. And it's mostly pictures photos. And there you are in your Marine uniform and you're serving in the UN in far-flung countries and you're with your family. I think it's your family. I love the photo of you relaxing on the edge of a pool holding a baby with two other little kids hanging off your feet. Those are my kids. Yeah, I, I thought so. And, you know, I was looking at those photos and it brought back what Tobias Wolf said about your book, which is that revolutions of all colors is a novel about what it means to be a man. And Dwayne, I was just wondering, when you look at those pictures on your website, what kind of man do you see there? It's like an I love me page, you know, so like, um, you know, I, I wanted to be a spy and I, I wanted to have this kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, it sounds ridiculous to say it out loud. I wanted to have this Hemingway-ish kind of life. I, I just didn't want to stay at home because I wanted to see the world. It was one of the reasons I joined the Marine Corps was just, I just wanted to travel. I wanted to see places. I thought that that was somehow crucial for becoming the type of person I wanted to be, to be abroad for a period of time, you know. But but to, to answer your question, I guess when I look at those pictures, I think that I got a lot of what I wanted out, out of life. I, I got to do a lot of the things that I, I wanted to do. It didn't work out exactly the way I thought it would, you know. It's funny, but I got to do a lot of things that I wanted and, and uh, it's been an interesting ride. Dwayne, I have one last question for you, which is if you were to write a six word memoir, what would it be? I got eight. He left things better than he found them. That, that is what I want people to say about me, that I made the world somehow a better place somehow. <laughs> I think you are well on your way to that. Dwayne, I want to thank you for your thoughtful answers and sharing this time with me. I also want to thank you for your service. And I just had such a good time talking to you and learned a lot. So really, I appreciate this. Thank you so much for reaching out. And this was a great interview. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I thank you so much for reaching out. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Dwayne, his award-winning novel, Revolutions of All Colors, and his many achievements, literary and otherwise, please visit DwayneFaria.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.